Have you all got sermon notes? These uh, white bits? Okay, that's good. You see from what we're going to look at this morning how important it is to worship and gaze on Jesus, to consider him high and lifted up, such a wonderful object of worship. And we, you'll see the relevance of that as we go through. Um, if you're here as a regular, you'll know that um, for a few weeks we were working through Peter's first letter, and Steve rounded that off last week. And um, this week we're starting with his second letter. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter and chapter 1. I trust you remember that when we opened with 1 Peter, we looked at the circumstances and it's quite clear from the opening words that Peter is addressing people who are being persecuted. Uh, And having given them a wonderful picture of who they are in Christ, um, he then seeks to help them to face persecution. Uh, and to say that these trials are only for a moment, but they are, they are causing them to receive an eternal weight of glory. And um, so the, p- perhaps the running theme through uh, the first letter was that of facing trials and persecution. It crops up a number of times. Slightly different, um, we don't even know whether he's writing to the same people uh, in the second letter, um, He just addresses Christians in general when it comes to the introduction. But um, just as a little bit of background, I don't want to go into it too much, but it's clear um, from what Peter is teaching that he is trying to counter um, one of the major heresies that there was in that time. It's sad that very early on in the life of the church there were false teachers who came in. The Apostle Paul warned the church that that would happen. They would be like ravenous wolves who would come in uh, and seek to destroy the church. But they wheedled their way in and they brought false teaching. And one of those teachings was Gnosticism, which is all about knowledge, where knowledge is important. They considered the body to be something evil, something to be dispensed with. It was all to do with knowledge and to be spiritual was to have knowledge. It didn't matter what you did with your body. Uh, So your lifestyle was not important. It was all about what you understood. And of course, teachers would go around claiming to have higher knowledge than other teachers and so on. And the progression of that was to say that Jesus did not come in the flesh um, because flesh was something evil and God would never inhabit flesh. Uh, And so that was another heresy. Another thing that we find towards the end of this letter is that Peter concentrates on the second coming of Jesus. And that was something that was being denied in those days, partly because people thought Jesus was rather delayed in coming, but also that um, they did not expect his coming, whereas the Christians did. And there were false teachers who tried to uh, undermine that confidence that Jesus was coming again. And so Peter, uh, in this particular letter, is concerned to counter these heresies with the kind of knowledge that leads to godly living, not a kind of knowledge that causes us to forget about our bodies and the way that we live, but to encourage godly living and to uh, enliven the people's expectations that Jesus was indeed one day coming again. And with that expectation, they were encouraged 
uh, to give attention to their lives. He said, this hope will purify you. This hope will purify as you look to Jesus coming again. So they're very important. So in lots of these um, books of the Bible and the New Testament, they're written to address, in some cases, particular situations. And that's something that we, we find here. So I think that's enough for, for some background, but we'll just read the first 11 verses together and then we'll pray. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for your word. But we thank you for the huge promises that we find here. Father, as has already been prayed, Lord, we pray that we will be doers, not only hearers. And Lord, we thank you for the knowledge and the truth that we've already received. Lord, we ask you, will you help us that that may make a difference to our lives, that we may bring glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've kind of headed the whole thing, power for life. And godliness, which of course picks up um, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's a very famous phrase, and I'm sure there's been thousands and thousands of sermons preached on that. It's, a very, it's full of absolutely wonderful promise, isn't it? God has given us something that we need. Tremendous. But um, obviously we have a, a greeting at the beginning uh, of this letter, and um, it probably forms, uh, it follows the form that would normally happen um, in, in those days, influenced by, by Greek culture. And we could easily pass over it, but I don't want to do that. I've got to be careful not to spend too much time on it, but I, you've got a heading there, truth-laden greetings, because it isn't just a greeting. It's so packed with wonderful truth about what it is to know God and to be a Christian. So first of all then, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. We heard last week from Steve that Peter already also announced that he'd been an elder as well. He said, as a fellow elder. 
And we can sometimes think about these people as being kind of superheroes. They're apostles, they're leaders in the church and so on. But actually they're only describing functions. An apostle is someone who is sent. He's sent by Jesus. Nevertheless, um, clearly someone with authority. But you notice that he uses the word servant, first of all. He says, you know, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that can mean a servant someone to serve Jesus, or it can be someone who is appointed by Jesus as a servant, to serve Jesus, but also to serve others. And Peter obviously takes the the cue from Jesus himself, and you remember that Jesus said to his disciples and taught them, uh, and said, yes, it's right, I'm your Lord and Master among you, but I'm here as one who serves. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And he said, you're not to be like the rulers in the world who lord it over people, who control people, but you are there to be servants. And um, I feel that that's really our first calling as Christians. We, we do trust that God will show us what our particular ministry might be in the church, but first of all, God wants us to be servants, to serve him and to serve one another. And it's the highest calling. Um, Jesus demonstrated it by washing the disciples' feet. We can't do anything higher. No servant is greater than his master. And so if we serve, we are fulfilling the greatest thing uh, in the kingdom of God. Now I realise that um, when people come to Christ, come into the church, they may be damaged and bruised and wounded by the world. And they have to treat the church like a hospital for a little while. Um, you know, being on the receiving end of care and teaching and so on. But in our hearts, we need to have a serving spirit to serve. And so I put a statement here uh, that is, we should not see church as primarily a place where our needs are met, but rather where we find opportunity to serve. It's so easy to be self-centred. What will church do for me today? Who is going to bless me today? What will I get today? Rather than whom I serve today. It's so easy. It's so easy. But Jesus was a servant and he causes, calls us to be the same. And I've called it 1B, which is to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. He talks about here what is the basis of the Christian faith, which is the same for everybody. There are no super saints. He may have been an apostle, but he came the same way that we did. He had to come to God through Jesus Christ, through confession of sin, through receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And it's so important. We've all obtained this righteousness uh, that he talks about here. And this is one of the ways of describing someone who is a Christian. They are someone who has received the righteousness of of God. So he says that to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour have received a faith as precious as ours. And um, it's so important that we recognise that any righteousness that we have, and I'm now not talking about righteous living, I'm talking about a righteous standing before God, is something that is given to us. It is not obtained by our good works or trying to please God. It is something that God has to give us. And I've put there, it's not by works of the law. If you're familiar 
um, with Paul's letter to the Romans, you know it's a wonderful treatise uh, on Christian doctrine. And in the early stages, and in fact it peppered all the way through, his concern is that people should not seek righteousness by the works of the law. He says, by the works of the law shall no one uh, be, be declared righteous. Now there's nothing wrong with the law of God. In fact, it's perfect, it's good, it's just um, but we cannot keep it. And what the law does, in fact, it just demonstrates how sinful we are. The law is right, it's always right, but it never does anything to help us. And it just demonstrates uh, how sinful we are. And there's a quotation there from Romans 3. Because he says, you know, God had to do something. We could not keep the law, but God had to do something. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So it's a righteousness, it's a right standing before God, free from accusation, free from condemnation. And it's almost a, a scandal, really, because Paul talks about God justifying the wicked. God actually justifies those who are wicked. And you could say, well, how can a just God do that? How can he act righteously and justify the wicked? He does it because he punished Jesus in the place of the wicked. That God's righteousness, God's Holy righteousness was fulfilled in punishing uh, his own uh, dear son, Jesus Christ, in our place. So his righteousness, his holiness was upheld in that. And um, God then put to our account the righteousness of Jesus. It is just like an, an account. Right? God put something to our account. It's imputed to us, that's another word. It's kind of a bookkeeping understanding. God put something to our account that we could never put to our account and actually puts our sin to Jesus' account. I've put a reference there of 2 Corinthians 5.21 but it's God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was completely innocent. He knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A wonderful transaction that took place. So we've received a righteousness from God and everybody's in the same boat. We all come to God on this same basis. We all need this righteousness from God. Well, having received the righteousness through faith in Jesus, we have an obligation to live righteously, not like the Gnostics. It isn't just about knowledge. We have to live it out. We have an obligation to live righteously. But this would be a daunting prospect but for the grace of God. And of course Peter mentions the grace of God. Verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is available to us. Grace, particularly when we fail. Um, if you know anything about Peter's life, as most of you will, um, Peter experienced the wonderful grace of God right early on. And... Um, you recall that when Jesus had gathered his disciples for the Last Supper um, and they'd broken bread and so on, he said to them all, 
um, you will all fall away on account of me. And Peter, being Peter, says, well, I won't. The others might, but I won't. And Jesus said, well, I'm sorry, Peter, but before the cock crows tonight, you will deny me three times. And Peter was adamant, no, I won't. I'll even die for you. And of course, um, it wasn't long before Peter's waiting, watching Jesus being tried. And you know, it wasn't a, a big military onslaught that caused him to crack. It was a little girl, a servant girl, who accused him of being you know, in the company of Jesus. And he denied it. And he denied it three times. And the cock crows and he was absolutely bitter about it. He wept bitterly. Well, how is Jesus going to deal with him? Well, I've given a, a reference there to John 21. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to the disciples a couple of times. But there they are on the beach in a relaxed situation, having breakfast. Jesus had prepared breakfast for them, and he pulls Peter aside. Now, if it had been me, I would have said to him, just come over here, Peter, will you? Just, just, just a minute, I've got, just got something to say. Um, you blew it, didn't you? You know, all those promises, and you absolutely blew it. Um, you let me down just when I needed you most. And you're one of the guys I've chosen to change the world. You know, what am I going to do? Peter, you're fired. <laughs> do an Alan Sugar on him. Wouldn't it? We do that. We might do that. But what does Jesus do? He says, Peter, do you love me? Right? That's all he says. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. In other words, I'm going to give you the church to look after. You think, wow, what grace. What grace. Right? Peter, the one who failed miserably. And Jesus, all he wanted to know, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's often the question that Jesus would ask us. Right? And it says there's grace in abundance here. Grace be yours in abundance. That's unlimited grace. Paul says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We won't outdo God in terms of our sin regarding his grace. There is always more grace. So that's the introduction, really, to this letter that Peter gives, the greeting. But it's quite important because there's so much truth in there. So let's now turn to verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Can you just appreciate how important this is? How important is it is us for us to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world? And here we're told that we have power to do it. So it's power for life, and I assume this is eternal life, and also power for godliness, which is righteous living. We've been made righteous, we've been declared righteous, we've had righteous imputed to us, it's been put to our account, but now we need to live righteously. So we say there's power, but how do we access the power? Well, I believe Peter tells us it's through our knowledge of God, through Jesus, and it's through his great and precious 
promises. We have to access it somewhere. So what I want to do is to look at eternal life, or life, eternal life, and apply those, those one and two features, um, and then we'll look at uh, godliness in the same way. So eternal life. We know that eternal life can only come through knowing God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And eternal life comes, proceeds from the Father through Jesus, uh, administered, as it were, by the Holy Spirit. And so we have to know God in order to do that. And Jesus said in his prayer, recorded in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there is no eternal life other than through knowing God through Jesus Christ. And Peter uses this lovely phrase um, we are, that we are attracted or we were called by his glory and goodness. And um, we, we've been singing about that this morning, haven't we? I stand, I stand in awe of you. You are beautiful beyond description. And, you know, as um, human beings, when we come under conviction by the Holy Spirit and we realise how far short we've fallen of God's glory. Um, We need a saviour and God has provided a perfect saviour, a a lamb without blemish, without spot and such a wonderful saviour. And in different ways, I'm sure all our conversion experience will be somewhat different, but there came a point when Jesus was presented to us by God uh, as one that we could put our trust in, one that we could thoroughly trust. His integrity was without question. Someone that we could give our lives to um, and know that we would be treated with grace and mercy and not with judgment. And Jesus' uh, moral excellence. If you think about um, Mary Magdalene, um, this woman who had lived an immoral life, she found her way to Jesus How was it that this sinful woman um, could actually approach Jesus? She saw something of goodness in him that included mercy and grace. It wasn't a judgmental goodness. It was a receiving, an open goodness that that drew Mary to him. And of course she was (coughs) forgiven. So we need to know God for eternal life. There is no eternal life otherwise. And then the precious promises. You may not realise it, but when you were saved, you put your faith in the word of God, which included promises. We are saved through faith, aren't we? And that faith is in the word of God. God promises. And here are some very familiar scriptures just to illustrate that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We had to believe that. There's no way we're going to get saved without believing that that by trusting Jesus we would escape judgment and we would escape the wrath of God and we would have eternal life. Jesus um, at the tomb of um, Lazarus and speaking to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So life comes, life, power for life, comes through believing the promises of God regarding salvation. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And we have to believe that. We have to trust those promises. And those promises um, give us life. So let's move on to righteous living, which probably is the thing that, in some respects, because we are, um, I'm talking to people who are saved, in the, by and large, I'm sure, um, but righteous living may be something that taxes us from time to time. It is about godliness. It's being God-likeness in our lives. And the first thing is to say that it, by way of this power that God is at work in us, he was, in, in, in a, he was at work in us when we were saved. And we know that God caused our old nature to die with Jesus. We, were, we died with him, we were buried with him and we had our nature renewed by the Holy Spirit. We were born again. Now we still, in a sense, have a sinful flesh, a sinful body, a body that still has its appetites and so on that often we find we struggle with. But our inner being has been transformed so that now we actually want to be righteous. One time we couldn't care less about it, but now we actually want to be righteous, although sometimes it's a struggle to be righteous. But God has already done something. His power has transformed us and given us a new life and a new nature that now wants to please God. Paul says to the Philippians, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So here's another illustration that salvation isn't to be kept dormant, it's to be worked out. God has saved us, we need to work that out in everyday life. We have to work it out with fear and trembling. That is to be concerned that God is watching us, but nevertheless God is helping us. Because he said God is at, is at work in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but there are those people who are not Christians and think I cannot give my life to God because he might ask me to be a missionary in outer Mongolia or somewhere. And seriously, people are afraid that God may call them to such things. If God calls you to that sort of thing, that is the thing you will want to do. God will change your heart. God will put that on your heart in such a way that that is what you want to do, most of all. Missionaries don't go out kicking and screaming. They go out because they have a passion for the people. God has given them a passion for the people. In the years of the China Inland Mission, when the, fight, when the troubles were worse in China, there were more volunteers uh, for missionaries because they, 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 God had put that on their hearts to do that. So God is at work to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So we have, we have a desire. We have a desire to please God. But how do we experience the power uh, to overcome you know, the, the corrupt and evil world? Well, I put here, experiencing power for righteous living is not automatic. We have to access it. Wouldn't it be nice if it was automatic? If God said, now you're saved, you will just sail through life. Now you'll sail through life, you'll not have any temptations, there'll be no problems, you'll just sail through until I take you home. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but um, even if we look down at verse 5, we see, for this very reason, make every effort all right. Oh dear, I thought God was going to do it all and now I've got to make every effort. But it's very important. So applying those two things that I 
put there above, one and two, which is about knowledge and about promises. We're going to apply that to righteous living. So about knowledge. So through our continued knowledge of Jesus, beholding his glory and goodness, the drawing power of Jesus continues to give us life. Just as looking at Jesus we were saved, we need to keep looking at Jesus, keep you know, seeking and savouring him, as, um, as John Piper says in the title of one of his books, that we need to be looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It is so important. We need to be looking at his glory and goodness we need because that will inspire us, that will continue to motivate us uh, and, and to renew our love for him. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has shone light into our lives, but we have to keep looking. We have to keep looking at him. And the more we know him, the more we love him and want to please him. That's true, isn't it? That the more we see Jesus, the more we look at him. And I've said it before, but on a regular basis, I, I, I love reading books that just help me understand Jesus more and help me. You know, The Glory of Christ by Peter Lewis. I regularly read through it, you know, <coughs> at least once a year. It's such a wonderful book, but it just keeps showing me Jesus. Uh, and it just causes that love to rise. And, and, and this, uh, this applies to all things. What did Jesus say to Peter? Do you love me? Uh, so it must be the motivation for everything that we do. Just kind of a bit of an extreme, but as an example, um, I've been in a meeting where the worship, the worship leader said, stop, nobody's doing anything, nobody's contributing. Come on, what's the matter with you? Come on, why don't you get stuck into the worship? You know, why don't we why don't you praise God as if you already, you know, if you really mean it? You know, and we think, well, if you don't mean it, don't don't do it. But you won't cause people to worship by haranguing them. You only cause people to worship by showing them Jesus. At the end of the day, the, the one of the roles of a worship leader is to get people focused uh, on Jesus. Uh, and to, to lift him up through song or through some other means. That's the only thing that's going to cause us to worship is if we see him, you know. And, um, you know, we, we, we sing, I want to see you. I want to see you, Lord. It's so important. Then we get to the great and precious promises. We've looked at the knowledge. It's important to continue to renew our knowledge of Jesus, but his great and precious Promises. Godliness is a matter of faith and choice. We have to make a choice. The way we live is always a choice. It doesn't happen automatically. And even when we have a love for God, when we have Jesus in view, it's still a choice that we have to make in life. We have to choose between the promise promises of the world and God's promises. God offers us better promises to help us escape the corruption of the world. And I can't emphasise this enough. This is what Peter says helps us to escape corruption. That is, choosing God's, to go the way of God's promises. He has given us his great and precious promises 
so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So this is how we access the power. We access the power through the promises. And uh, I put a quote there from John Piper, famous, well, very popular author with me. I love John Piper. And you may need to read this through a couple of times, and I've suggested in the questions for Cell that we, we do that. But just see what you make of this. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. Sin is attractive, isn't it? You know, we wouldn't sin if it wasn't attractive. It attracts us in some ways. Uh, There's an attraction there. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself, which means that the power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's promises. All that God promises to be for us in Jesus stands over against what sin promises to be without him. Do we understand that? that? That sin will promise us lots of things, won't it? And in fact, you know, we live in a materialistic world um, where the media um, is on the side of materialism, isn't it? And if you watch your television, we are being enticed all the time to buy something new, we need something, you need a new three-piece suite, you don't have to pay for it now, you can have it, pay for it in a year's time. And then this little phrase, this is a must-have. This, is, this gadget is a must-have. This is a real temptation for men. This gadget is a must, you must have this gadget. It's, what it's, it's that phrase now, isn't it? And all the time, and, and what it's actually doing it's, it's, it's breeding, you know, covetousness and greed in us. And in scripture, that's likened to idolatry. And so our mind is thinking, how can I get the new this? How can I get the latest that? We need, we need to change this. We need to do that. We need the latest fashions. We need the most expensive cosmetics and all the rest of it. And that's what the world is, is trying to tell us. But what does God tell us? What does God say about these things? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's right, isn't it? Thieves don't break into a house generally if you haven't got anything to steal. Okay, but if you've got lots of goodies, then you have to put locks and alarms on your house because people might steal them. And, and if you've got lots of gadgets and things, they go wrong. Don't they? And they give us such headaches, don't they? If we didn't have them, we wouldn't have the headaches. They go wrong, they've got to be replaced or whatever, we've got to get someone to come and fix them. Now, we live in a kind of world where those things, uh, you know, we see that many of those things are quite essential. But, but you get the point, don't you? And um, he says, for, um, for, well, sorry, where thieves broke in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what God is saying is, there is so much more benefit in storing up treasure in heaven, investing in eternal things with our time, with our emotions, with our finance and so on, because that is lasting. The things that people get skewed up about in this world and put their hope in is not going to last. 
And so it's just whether, when it comes to it, maybe with the choice of what we do with our money or otherwise, are God's promises stronger than the promises of the world? Right? And we know that, that, that sin and temptation is all about short-term gain, isn't it, so often? It's all about short-term gain. You know, maybe more for men, but look at this magazine, you know, and you'll be thrilled and satisfied, all right? Very unhelpful, not this magazine, but you know what I mean. You know, maybe a girly magazine and have, have, a, and have a quick thrill or whatever. But it's passing. And the other thing is, uh, it's enslaving as well. And there are so many men that are enslaved uh, with pornography because it's all about short-term gain. But God has so much better promises. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do we believe it? Do we believe God's promise? This is the point. Or do we go chasing after the things at the expense of God's kingdom? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There's past grace there that gives us confidence for future grace. The past grace is that God gave his son for us. Out of his grace and mercy, God gave his son. And God is, what Paul is saying here, if God was gracious in that fantastic way, surely he's going to be gracious in the future and he's not going to withhold any good thing from you. And Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So then, power to live a godly life. It's about choices. Now often, um, people come forward for prayer and they may be struggling with something in life, some temptation or whatever. And it's most appropriate to come forward for prayer. But at the end of the day, um, their, their ability to overcome that will be there to do their choice regarding the, the promise of this thing or God's promise. And we would pray for them uh, to increase their faith in God's promises. So that's where the power comes, power in God's promises. I'm not going to any great detail for the, the, um, the last few verses because um, there's an opportunity to, to look at those in cell, but I'll just, just briefly go over the notes that are here now. So verses 5 to 10. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And there's a whole list, seven things there that we are to try and add to our faith uh, and uh, that will uh, demonstrate that our faith is productive. So God has given us the resources for life and godliness, so let's make the effort, let's use them and be productive. Now, we, we cannot add anything to saving faith. Uh, it, you might misunderstand it and think, well, um, yes, Jesus has died for me, but do I, in order to be saved, do I have to add something to that to be thoroughly saved? And that was another kind of heresy in the early church that people thought they had to add the Jewish law to their Christianity in order to be saved. Now that's not what it's actually saying because that's entirely a work of God. But we can apply ourselves to its outworking. We can work it out with fear and trembling because we have been saved to live to the praise of his glory. And it finishes up with a phrase here, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. The election, the calling, 
were an activity of God. So why do we have to make it sure? Well, it isn't that it's in any doubt, um, but it has to be worked out. It it has to to be some evidence uh, to our saving faith. And, um, you know, as we've been saying, that the the Gnostics said it's all about um, knowledge. As long as you've got the knowledge, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. But Peter is insistent that it's so important that having been saved, having been declared righteous, you need to live righteously. And in some ways that will confirm your faith. Just as an illustration, supposing I'd been to um, university, and um, I haven't, but I've been to university and I trained as an architect. Um, Many years training, thoroughly passed out with all the certificates, and then later in life, quite late in life, a friend comes and said, um, you're an architect, aren't you? I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, um, well, could you, can we go out and have a look at some of the buildings that you were responsible for? Well, that might be a bit difficult, because um, actually there aren't any. You mean you never actually did any architect's work? Well, no. But, but you're sure you're an architect? Well, yes, I, I am an architect, but... Um, no, there's no, there's nothing to show for it. And after the the friend had gone, he's thinking, well, am I an architect? I've passed, I've got the certificates, but am I? And I think the same thing is here, that if we see the, the, the fruit of our salvation working out in our lives, it confirms that salvation for us. We are more convinced that, yes, it actually works. Salvation works. It actually not only saves me for eternity, but it actually helps me uh, to live a godly life. I'm going to leave it there. Um, you've got some questions for Sal, um, even if you're um, not necessarily involved in that, but it, um, you might like to look at the questions. Look again at John Piper's statement. See whether that helps you to understand the root of sin and how a knowledge of God's promises can help us overcome temptation. And then also we've not discussed um, the various qualities that Peter says we should add to our faith. And you might like to look at those uh, in cell as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've given us for life and godliness. Thank you, you've given us the tools. You've given us the wherewithal. But Lord, we recognise that we have responsibility. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty in saving us. Lord, and we thank you for for your sovereignty that works through our life. But we also recognise our responsibility. And Father God, we ask you that as we continue to look on Jesus, as we continue to worship him and savour him in our lives, that the motivation to make every effort, um, Lord, will not seem like every effort. Lord, it will seem effortless because of our love for him. So, Father, will you impress these things on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you if you'd like prayer. Also, I just mentioned, some time ago we were given a a number of these books um, produced by Graham Meader, who's at the Baptist Church, Bible verses uh, concerning God's promises.